Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's be seated. Yes, we're continuing our, our walk through the, the liturgy. We need to take these 10 minutes normally devoted to the sermon. As we've come back this fall, we're looking at what we do, why we do it, why we pull it forward, what it means for us when we come together for worship. There are a couple of things that you'll need at your side for our time in these 10 minutes together. One is a book of common prayer. If you could grab it, one of the red books from the pew in front of you, open it to page 575 and just put it next to you, if there's room next to you or in your lap. Then you'll also need something to write on and a pencil or pen. You might be able to use the back of a visitor's card or something like that if you don't carry a pencil or ink pen with you anymore. So, so we, we've come so far, we've come from bed at home through the west door, the procession up to the high altar, to the gates of heaven. We've walked through uh, instruction, praise, and prayer, confession of sin. We got right up to announcements and offertory, and then boom, came to a stop. And today we're picking up there. We're picking up with the, the, the walk through the great mystery from table to rail and then back out to the west door, through the west door. In essence, we've come from preparation, teaching prayer and praise to, right now, to remembrance, dream, and empowerment. That's what this next section is like. Remembrance, dream, and empowerment. Now, in these next couple of times we're together, the, the sharp contrast between the Protestant-minded and the Catholic-minded is going to come into focus. Remember, I've painted for you before this picture of an umbrella. It is the Anglican experiment. It is the Anglican work, gift to the body of Christ, to open an umbrella over the Protestant-minded and the Catholic-minded. And that comes into sharp focus in our time together right now. The objectives are the same for both. Teach, confess, inspire, and experience. Only, in the case of the Protestant-minded, the teaching and confessing gets the emphasis and in the case of the Catholic-minded, the experience, art, music, and immersion, inspiration, gets the emphasis by, by, by present, present experience. Uh, again, just to emphasize this once more, we're here in some sense to remember, but in the case of the Protestant-minded, we're going to remember an event from the past in a way such that it doesn't fade from memory. And in the case of the Catholic-minded, we're going to remember, but in the sense of making present a past event in such a way that you're experiencing it afresh. Three things we'll look at to, to, to demonstrate this. One, this piece of furniture right here. Two, the body posture of the person leading prayer. And three, the opening dialogue to the great mystery, the opening dialogue to the prayer over the bread and wine. Those are our three things for the day. So first, to this piece of furniture, and now we get to use one of our props, the prayer book, page 573. Open it up, pull it to your lap right there, right in front of you, and I, this is an excerpt from 
a service that's used when a new church building is opened, when it's being dedicated for service for the very first time, and the bishop comes and he moves from, from a pulpit to font to altar to stained glass window to organ, and he says a blessing over each of these, inaugurating them for use in that place. And here, in this case, we're looking at the thing that he prays over this piece of furniture. And notice what he says. The bishop says these words, let us now pray for the setting apart of this altar. So nothing strange there, nothing unusual there. That's common language for us. But look at the very next sentence in italics. The bishop goes to the table and with extended arms says. So that's either an imprecise move by the editorial committee of the prayer book, using in one case altar, or using in another case table, or it means to say something and do something. I'm going to argue for the latter. But in the case of, of holy table, when we refer to it, it's appealing to the Protestant-minded. Holy table, think, Last Supper, think Jesus gathered with his disciples a new experience, a new remembrance of the Last Supper. But then altar, altar is a place of sacrifice throughout Scripture. And for early Christians, when the altar was used, you were presenting afresh. You weren't making a new sacrifice. You were presenting afresh the sacrifice made for all in the death of Jesus at Calvary. So at Christ Church, it's great fun. We've three times built altars, three times. Once, down the road. Twice, with a high altar. And then the third time, in the case of the renovation. And you'll look, if you pull this up, we see it at Lent. It's made of wood. Unlike the altars where... National Cathedral, St. Mark's, Philadelphia, St. Paul's, K Street. These would all be churches. Church of the Advent, Boston, where the altar is made of stone. And architecturally, even in those instances, you'll find a choice is being made for where one falls on this remember making present of a sacrifice, this Protestant-minded to Catholic-minded. You'll find sometimes the, the ultimate blend of a wooden altar with a stone inlay. But here, Christ Church, notwithstanding the many choices for Catholic-minded architecture, Christ Church insisted on wooden altars being built as things pull forward. I would say an ultimate cooperation with this blend of practices, holy table, altar, we are about both gathering with our Lord at the Last Supper and remembering in this moment the great sacrifice that he made for us. Now, on to body posture for the one at prayer. You will often see, in fact, I would say you will invariably see these days the member of the clergy who comes making some form of extended arms like this. It can be in a variety of different ways. It could be sort of like this. It can be like this. It can be like this. There are a number of ways. It's echoing the psalmist's 
posture for prayer when the psalmist writes about, I will lift my hands to you, O God. Or there's no rubric in the prayer book that directs that to happen, but by common practice, it's been embraced by many members of the clergy. It was the first century posture for prayer for the people, first century synagogues. And like so much that happens in the life of the church over time, many of the actions of the people have become fossilized in the person of the priest. So we once all did this, but now we're going to designate somebody to do that. But centering prayer people, folks who love silence and find God in silence, know that there's something about body posture that invites the sacred. So, for example, if the celebrant walked up here to begin the Eucharistic prayer and said, the Lord be with you. I mean, there's just something about you're inviting the Holy Spirit. And also the presider is seeking to make herself open to the movement of the Spirit. Now, if, if, it's dangerous where we're going right here because there's just a couple of nuanced movements between this and this and this. But you see, it was, in fact, the posture for prayer for everyone. It's one of those instances when we're closer to the folk that we think we're so far away from, we're closer to them than we think we are. There's something that's been preserved by that practice over time that it's important for us not to forget. Even if one were in the pews, just sort of quietly to kind of just open your hands, just even just a little, in that sense that you're opening your body to the presence and movement of God. That's what's happening there. An invitation on the part of the presider to the whole assembly, Holy Spirit, come, infuse me, infuse us, take us through the final journey. So last little piece today, and here's where you need something to write with in your piece of paper. And I want you to write down three short responses. They're responses that I'm hoping you'll make and that you'll make robustly in just a moment. The first response is, are we, question mark, First response, are we, question mark. Second response, we're ready to go. We're ready to go. Third response, yes, let's go. So are we, we're ready to go, and yes, let's go. Write those down. We're going to use them in just a moment been some time ago, took a sabbatical teaching at Brunnenberg for St. Andrew's Presbyterian College. This was the place in the South Tyrol, the German-speaking part of the Italian Alps, where Ezra Pound spent the last part of his career writing. And one of the amazing things about that time was journeying the paths that would take you from village to village, mountain village to mountain village. And we had taken one, uh, one week and we're retracing our steps the next week and that first time by, the, uh, a friend, a local, had pointed out a 7th century 
stone Christian chapel that, where there was still active worship. And this day we were going by, there was music coming from, not, not uh, uh, instrument music, but the music of the people. And, and this was specifically the tone you heard. You recognize that? That's the, the plain chant that accompanies the, the opening dialogue between the people. The Lord be with you. It sent chills down my back. To imagine that that tone had been used in some sense, in some form, from the middle of the last, the, oh, the, 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 the former, uh, the first millennia. I, it sent chills down my back. The Lord be with you and also with you. Something we've said as Christians to open prayer and to open the Eucharistic prayer from the time of Jesus. But what we've forgotten, basically, is that nothing more than a call and response to get started in the work of prayer over the bread and wine. We think we're sort of stayed and cold and frozen when compared to call and response traditions. We think that the, the amen or the, the preach or well of a of an African-American church has far, far away from us. But the proto-call and response work of the church across the Mediterranean, across North Africa, across in time Europe, was this back and forth. So nothing more is happening in that call and response with the Lord be with you than this. The, the presider steps up and says, we're getting ready to pray. And the people say, are we? And, and the presider says, yes, we are. And the people say, we're ready to go. And the presider says, are you sure? And the people say, let's go. That's exactly what's happening right there. Every time we begin with the Lord be with you, we shouldn't be, I think, too, to have our shorts too much of a knot about what exactly the words are, because all we're doing is starting the engines for prayer. So I want us to just try that with that paraphrase for just a brief moment. You've got the responses written down. Are we? We're ready to go. Let's go. And we need a bold response to close out today's time together. The presider steps to the altar. She extends her arms. And she says, we're getting ready to pray. Are we? Yes, we are. Are you sure? Let's go. That's exactly right. That is exactly how it goes with the Eucharistic prayer. I've said these things to you today in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.